This is John chapter 4, the the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar near the plot of the ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples, they had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who, who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people there, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, my food is to do with the will of him who has sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. 
The reaper is already receiving the wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, Jesus, our Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit, who sustains us with living water. Amen. Uh, we know this story well, probably. This is the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And it starts out by talking about this rift, right? this rift between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. These two people, Jesus and this woman, in no world should they be meeting, in no world should they be having a conversation in broad daylight, in no world should they be sharing water with one another or sharing anything in common because this goes against all social norms. This is a huge deal that they're even having a conversation and much less that this is the longest dialogue, the longest conversation that happens in John's gospel between these two. The history between these two ethnicities goes way back. They actually come from the same ancestry. They come from Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel. But there was a rift, and the rift only got deeper and deeper, and the divide only got more and more entrenched between these two groups of people over time. And so this is a really big deal that they're meeting in this way. And they should not be talking or anything. And you hear that in the woman's voice, like, why are you interacting with me, right? And, but Jesus, as Jesus does, he breaks all social norms and he bridges that gap right away. Right away, as soon as he meets this woman, he says, give me a drink. Let's break down this barrier. Right now, let's break down this barrier. Give me a drink. So he demands hospitality from the people that his people don't even acknowledge as being worthy of hospitality or love or humanity, right? And so he demands this hospitality from her. And then I love her response because in her response, she calls on their commonality, right? He says, give me a drink. I want living water or I bring living water. And she's like, you don't even have a bucket. How could you come to our ancestors? Well, right? She says, our ancestor, we have this in common, right? But at the same time, I can't give you a drink. I'm a Samaritan woman, right? So he breaks down this barrier from the start. And then he says, I bring living water. And those who drink this living water will never be thirsty again. The water from this well will only last you a little while and you'll be thirsty again. But the living water, once you have it, you will never be thirsty again. Lots of people have debated about what is this living water really? What is it? The, the Greek here for living water, it's really beautiful. It kind of means like moving water or flowing water or fresh water. It's not stagnant like water in a well or like water in a bowl or water in a pond, right? It's more like water in a river or water in the ocean, water that flows, water that moves. 
Um, and I think, yeah, what he means by this is that we don't have to be spiritually thirsty anymore because the Spirit is with us, walking with us every single day. And he says, kind of like, go tell your husband about this, right? Go back and tell your husband about this encounter, about this living water. And this woman says to him, I have no husband. I have no husband, Jesus. And he says, I know. (laughs) You're right in saying that. You don't have a husband. You've had five, and what you have now is not your husband. Um, And and he says that to her, and, and she is floored by this. And she says, you are a prophet. I see that you are a prophet. You know me in this moment. How did you know that about me? You have no way of knowing that about me, right? And she's surprised by this. Um, and we, people have preached whole sermons about this woman, about her history, about how terrible she is, about um, how much of a sinner she is, all of these things, right? But the truth is, Jesus doesn't say this to her with any judgment at all. He says it very matter-of-factly. This is who you are. I know this to be true about you, right? And it is true. And ultimately, it wouldn't have been her fault that she had so many husbands. She had no power to divorce anyways, right, in this time. And so there's no judgment in Jesus' voice here, even though we have imposed judgment in our voices interpreting this text over the years. But all Jesus does here is sees her. Jesus sees her for exactly who she is. Someone who has had five husbands, someone who doesn't have a husband now, someone who has to lug water back and forth every day, and for whom living water, where she wouldn't have to do that anymore, would be so freeing to her. Imagine how much time that would free up in her day, not having to lug the water back and forth, right? How much, how freeing that would be to her. Jesus sees her just as she is, and that's it, just as she is. There's no, there's no underlying judgment there at all. Jesus knows her. He knows her history. He knows who she is. He sees this woman who he's not even supposed to be interacting with. And in this moment, I think what she probably feels is a sense of belonging. A sense of belonging in this interaction that she doesn't belong in. And he doesn't belong in, right? And this makes me think of... What we've been talking about at our retreats recently, we had a council retreat um, like a month ago. We had our staff retreat this past week. And at both of those retreats, um, Heidi talked to us about this program called Designed for Belonging. Um, It was created by a professor at Stanford. And she talks about how important these moments of belonging are. And she, she uses the story of her parents got divorced when she was younger, and um, her mom invited her to her wedding with her, or with her new partner. And she said that in that moment was the moment where she felt like she belonged the least. She was lost. She was so sad that her parents were divorced, and now she had to go to this wedding. And um, she talks about how her mom invited her to the wedding, but didn't really invite her in to that moment in a way where she could participate, right? And so she talks about how crucial these moments of belonging are. And so we talked about this as a council talked about this as a staff, and how we can think about our building and different places in the building where we belong, right? We all wrote down what places where we feel like we belong. Maybe you feel like you belong in Nagel Hall. I hope so. Um, I wrote down the parlor as one of my places because I feel like that's where the most real conversations happen, right? Um, But then I, I really love this chart, and we walked through this chart at both retreats and kind of talked about how can we 
create a sense of belonging more here at Christ the King for all people, right? And of course, this is not linear. It looks kind of linear, but it's not. It can go all different ways, right, and start at all different places. But whenever I think about the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, I think about how many of these little things are happening. I mean, think about that for a minute. Where do you see in this story these things happening? Invitation, right? I think invitation and making demands when Jesus says, give me a drink, right? He's inviting relationship, and he's also making a demand of this woman. And dissent, when she says, are you sure you don't even have a bucket? What are you doing, Jesus, right? And there's growth, right? She leaves her jar behind in not knowing what this, any of this means, right? There's repair in their relationship. There's a dance where they both see each other. He sees her past, and then he says to her, I am he, I am the Messiah, and he's vulnerable with her. They're dancing and their vulnerability, and they're revealing each other to one another. Um, there's all sorts of things in this story, the, the contribution of giving water, right? Um, and, and so I just think this is really interesting, and I think Jesus creates for this woman a sense of belonging in this story. I think that's so important. And maybe we can think about how we can do that as well. And another thing that's interesting about this story and belonging is that it's contrasted with another story in John's Gospel. And we didn't hear this story last week because we had Bold Women's Sunday instead of going on the lectionary. But if we would have gone on the lectionary this last week, we would have heard from chap John chapter 3. What's everyone? John chapter 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, right? But before Jesus says that, he's talking to this guy named Nicodemus. And this story of the woman at the well is, yeah, it's fun to say, right, Nicodemus? Um, <laughs> this story of the woman at the well is contrasted with the story of Nicodemus. They're just one chapter apart. They're one week apart in our lectionary. And in this story, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Whereas the story is very clear today that the woman comes at what time? Noon, in the middle of the day, in broad daylight, right? Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's someone who's supposed to be talking to Jesus, who's supposed to be having a relationship with Jesus as a Jewish leader, right? But yet he comes at night. She's a Samaritan. She's someone who is not supposed to be talking to Jesus, and she comes in broad daylight. Nicodemus is named. This woman is unnamed, as we talked about in the children's message. Nicodemus is an insider. She's an outsider. And Nicodemus, he's unsure. He ends up by saying, how can this be? That's the last thing that Nicodemus says. Because he takes everything so literally. Jesus is talking about being born of the Spirit to Nicodemus, right? Just as abstract as this living water idea, right? But Nicodemus says, how can we be born of the Spirit if we're already grown old? We can't be born again, right? And so he takes everything so literally. And he ends by saying, how can this be? I'm not so sure about this. And he probably goes back to sleep, right, that night. But she ends by saying, could it be? Come and see to her friends, right? Could it be? She's still not sure. But even in her uncertainty, she proclaims who Jesus is and how Jesus saw her and how Jesus made her feel like she belongs. You know, there's that uh, Maya Angelou quote that I'm going to paraphrase here about, no one will remember what you said to them or what you did, 
but they'll remember how you made them feel. And this woman remembers how Jesus made her feel. And I think this is very mutual because in John's gospel, Jesus only reveals himself as the Messiah to one person. And it's her right here in this story. In response to Jesus calling out who she is and realizing how vulnerable that might be for her, Jesus is vulnerable in return. We have this dance, this moment of dance and this moment of belonging, right? Where Jesus says, she says, I know a Messiah is coming who's going to tell us all of these things. And Jesus says, yeah, I am he. I am the Messiah. He doesn't say that to his disciples flat out like that. He doesn't say it to anyone else. But this unnamed Samaritan woman he's not even supposed to be talking to is who he reveals who he truly is to in John's gospel. I am he. And of course, we know there's lots of I am statements in the gospel of John. If you go to the sanctuary, you can see them all on the wall, right? I am the good shepherd. I am the gates, right? There's lots of them. But this is the first one. And this is the one where he reveals that he is the Messiah. It's not metaphor, right? I am the Messiah, straight up, to this woman. And we've talked a little bit about how she responds, but I think this is so spectacular. She says, come and see. A man who has told me everything I have ever done, he cannot be the Messiah, can he? She doesn't say, how can this be like Nicodemus? But could it be? Can he be? Right? Is this possible? And I can't but think but go back to the song that we just sang, Raise Up, right? Where it says, there's courage in doubt. There is courage in not knowing. She's not sure, but she still responds. Even when she's not certain, she still acts. That's really hard for us, right? We want to be absolutely certain on something before we act. But she leaves her jug. She leaves her livelihood, right? That's her livelihood. We need water. And she goes and she says, come and see. And when I was looking at this, uh, I was looking at my Bible that I used in seminary, and I had marked out everything I have ever done. And, and because my professor told me that really the Greek there is much better to say, everything I have ever been through. A man who told me everything I have ever been through. He saw everything I've gone through, all the suffering, all the pain, and he saw me in it, and he knew me in it, and he told me I belonged in it. Not with judgment, but with love. And so she proclaims this good news. She proclaims this good news. And then we hear in the story that once she goes back to the village or to the town and proclaims the good news, many more believed. Many more believed in who Jesus is. Just because Jesus saw one person, just because of this one moment of belonging, right? We talk about creating moments of belonging. There's so much power in creating those moments of belonging. Because people are going to tell those stories where they felt like they belonged, where they felt like someone knew what they had been through and saw them in it. John's gospel is all about belief. The last verse in John's gospel is, this is written so that you may believe, right? That's John's whole purpose for writing. And so this woman, in her not knowing, in her being unsure, she still says, come and see. And because she did, many more believed. 
Caroline Lewis says that salvation is belonging. Salvation is belonging. I want us to think about that idea this Lent as we journey with Jesus to the cross, where we ultimately receive the gift of grace, the gift of salvation. From a God who loves us so much, from a God who sees us, who knows what we've been through, and still without judgment, loves us and knows us and calls us into belonging. Jesus died for us so that we may belong. In baptism, we experience the living water, and we are claimed, named and claimed as beloved children of God who belong in this place, in this faith, in the arms of God. Salvation is belonging. We belong, and we get to tell the story. Come and see. God has told me everything I've ever done. God knows everything I've ever been through and loves me still. Amen.